So we're in Ephesians today, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. So if you need a Bible, uh, the ushers have Bibles in their hands right now, ready to give you one, free of charge. Yours to keep if you don't have a Bible right now. If anybody needs one, raise your hand up. They'll get you one right now where you're sitting. And uh, have one over here. That'd be great. And then if you already have your Bible but you just forgot it today, then just return it, if you would, for somebody else. They're in the back on the shelf. Um, what an amazing passage. I want to I read it first, and then uh, I want to just give you, take a pause of the verse by verse and give you a couple stories about what makes this day especially special for me personally and for my family. But uh, let's read Ephesians three fourteen through 21 together. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. This, of course, is Paul from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What an amazing passage this is to cover on our celebration of 20 years to say that God has indeed done more than we could ask, imagine, or think. Um, My name is James, if you're new here, and I've been with the church uh, for 20 years, as it so goes. Um, I met uh, the Stupars when I entered their living room on Pismo Street, across from Emerson Park. They had a little... Apartment there, and we, we used to go there. When we got there, there was a full living room on the floor, and we had to get a seat. We had dinner together every week, and my wife and I were looking for a place to invest here. We were about to graduate from Cal Poly, and um, we were looking for a fellowship because we were in Los Osos for most of our fellowship and on campus ministries, and we were looking at a place to dive in. And, and uh, when I came to put a pause there, start parenthesis. When I came to, to San Luis Obispo, I was 17, just about to turn 18, and uh, I'm from Southern California, and I really didn't know what this area was all about until I got up here spring break of my senior year of high school. We came up, I came up with my parents at the time, and we got this, we got this killer rental right on uh, one of the streets in Shell Beach, the kind that make you think, how in the world did I miss this place for 17 years? This is crazy. We're right on this coast. I walk to it, and I can check it out, the scene and the view. And, and I actually was accepted to Cal Poly in the engineering program at the time. So I was really excited to investigate what this place had to offer. I'd never been up here before. I think the farthest north I had gone was like uh, Burbank. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I... I remember one of my buddies in high school said, you've got to see the view when you come down the grade coming into Santa Barbara. And I was like, I have no idea where that is. Um, <laughs> It's just, L.A. is big, so you can't see past it when you're on where I was from. I was from uh, San Bernardino County. But anyway, 
I never moved back. <laughs> uh, praise God for that. He had, he had some pretty cool, pretty cool plans. Nothing against down south. My family's still there. I still visit there often. But uh, I came up and I, and I had as an experience for me personally was one of, of Sunday church. Most of the time we went to church. Raised in the Catholic faith, and uh, my mom was Catholic, my dad was Presbyterian, um, and he had to sign an agreement that said that we would be raised in a Catholic household, upbringing, for him to marry my mom back in the, in the day when that was par for the course, so he was never part of my spiritual upbringing at all. We'd always ask him to go to church with us, he never would, um, but I uh, had some pretty strong uh, Catholic ties, being Mexican from Southern Cal, everybody knows each other. We're all going to church on Sunday, but the rest of the week we didn't really do much having to pertain with a walk with God. It was all about, well, you're Catholic, and that's enough. And if you go overboard, you might read your Bible during the week, or you might pray. Um, you might have prayer through the rosary or something like that. But I didn't really know what faith was lived out. So I came up here as a 17-year-old not knowing Jesus personally, where I had in a relationship. And, and what I described that is faith is really knowing what you believe in and actually putting your faith consciously in that. Um, I didn't have either one. I didn't know what I believed. In fact, I, I got to the point where, at the end of my high school year, years, um, had some pretty crazy experiences, to be honest with you. As I look back now um, on them, we're kind of tampering with satanic stuff, and, and uh, that's a whole, obviously, another story. Don't ask me afterwards. It's too long of a story. I'll write a book one day, but, um, <laughs> but anyways, I, I came up not knowing what truth was, and I uh, went in the dorms, and when I got there, and the reason why I'm sharing all this is because of that latter doxology part of our scripture today, that God's able to do more than we can ask, imagine, or think. So this does pertain to our passage. For me personally, it's my view from my perspective outward on the last 20, 25 years of my life. Because, um, well, I, I can't do math very well. I'm in my low 30s right now, so that would, <laughs> that would mean I came up as a 10-year-old uh, gifted engineering student. Um, but I came up, and you guys know what WOW is, Week of Welcome, and at that time we didn't have any regulations on Week of Welcome, and uh, I got involved in a group, uh, and as I described this to my kids, I said I watched them party. Um, I did more than watch them party. Um, when I came up, I figured there's a whole lot of things about college that I've heard about that I want to explore, I want to investigate, I want to experience for myself. So I did that. Um, my WOW group, uh, I spent most of the week partying it up. Uh, again, I didn't have faith in Christ to speak of, and I didn't know anything but I wanted to experience all that there was in San Luis Obispo at Cal Poly. So uh, the last part of our WOW week was what God used to wake me up that he had more for me than what I was living for in that week, and that is, you know, when you're new in any environment, you're looking for identity, right? I mean, that's a big thing when you go to college, as many of you at Cal Poly, if you're in the student right now, you know that identity is everything. You know, you really look for that. And, and, and how do you find it? That's the question. You find it in what you do. You find it in who you associate with. You find it in groupings. You find it in labels. Um, but there was something more for me than, the, than those things. Praise the Lord. But I was carried in my, my last day of my WOW group, I was carried into my dorm room because I was so inebriated. And I had basically uh, one vivid memory, besides unsuccessfully trying to get back to my dorm room, 
the one memory I had was I, I remember being literally carried into my dorm room by two other people from my wild group. And I was looking down the hallway in the red bricks. You guys lived in the red bricks or seen them? I was, my, my dorm was on the end. And I, and I was looking down the hallway at different people going into their rooms. And uh, at the time being carried into that dorm room, I remember thinking a couple things. One was, this is a waste of time and money. I'm going to destroy everything I've been working for, my parents have been working for. I just felt like, if this is what I'm going to do, I am an idiot. The second thing I was thinking about was, this is the first impression I'm making on people that are living in the same, under the same roof. And I, and I felt a, a, a stream sense of shame that, you know, this is not me. This doesn't define me. This isn't what I'm about. And, and my longing to, to kind of get experience, if you will, gnosko in the Greek is to experience by, you, you go through it, not just a mental knowledge, but experience it. And you own it and you realize it's, that it's there as an experience to be experienced, if that makes sense. But anyway, so I, I got carried in my dorm room and those, those things were, just struck me to the core. Um, praise God, that was the last time I got drunk in my life. Because... My roommate, who I'd known since fifth grade, ended up being a believer who had a Bible on his shelf. And, he, and more than that, he brought it down off the shelf and he started reading it at night before we went to sleep. I didn't know he was a Christian. I don't even know if I knew what a Christian was, to be honest with you, when I was growing up. But we'd known each other since fifth grade and God put me, divinely appointment, rooming with him, and he started reading his Bible in front of me. That's all I did. And even, I don't even remember him sharing anything with me. He just read it and I just watched him and I was so intrigued. What... Are you getting out of that? How is that relevant to your life? I want to know why you're spending time, you know, in that. For me growing up, it was a big Bible. It was ornately decorated. And if we got dust on it, it was a sin. Well, it wasn't expressly stated that way, but that was the assumption. And when I opened it, I remember looking at these big color pictures of like the Charlton Heston type apostles that stood on a high mountain had wind in their hair and long beards that were white and I, flowing robes that I could, I would never wear that. So what, so what is this, how, what is, how does this apply to my life, you know, as a 17-year-old kid? But I knew there was something, one thing I didn't know is that there's something greater than, than me uh, that exists. There's something I can't see, and those go back to the experiences I had, that I knew there was something out there that was beyond me. So I knew that. I knew that he was getting something out of his Bible, and I knew that I wanted to know something that had a future. And as I saw it, Jesus had a lot more future in him, at least initially, than getting drunk and getting carried in my dorm room. You with me? So God was doing something amazing. And what he was doing was introducing me to people that actually did something like spend time in the Bible in my dorm room. And the first Bible study I went to was on the second floor of Trinity Hall. Um, started reading the Bible, started getting in the gospel, started reading about Jesus, started getting my eyes uh, opened to the reality that, wow, things that I had grown up with that I said every Sunday, for the most part every Sunday, actually had crazy meaning. I'll give you one example that floored me. When, when in Mass after Mass after Mass, if you guys have been in Catholic Mass, you say the same things week after week. But one of the things that are said before you have communion is, uh, Father, I'm, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. When I read that story in the gospel, 
where the gentleman comes up and has a suffering servant. He says, he bows before Jesus and he says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But you can just say the word and my servant will be well. You know, that floored me. And I'm like, oh my goodness. That was just one experience of what lined up to be of life-changing reading. Winter quarter of my freshman year, I remember there was a lordship talk. I was involved with InterVarsity at the time. I went away and had this lordship talk that if you want Jesus, there's a cost. And that cost is discipleship. That cost is giving over your reins of your life and exchanging it for his. There's a cost in that you don't have to, call, you know, you're not going to call the shots. He is. And so in that, I was very, very taken with the fact that, you know what, God? Uh, I need you. And you have a future. And as it turns out, Jeremiah 29.11, which is a very well-known passage, is really true. You have a future and a hope for me. Not for evil, but for good, right? That's, that's the promise, and it looked a whole lot better than just being shamed and out of control and dependent on other people just to walk in my room. So why do I say all that? I say all that because little did I know that I'd be here today doing what I'm doing, and, and 20 years after getting involved with the Bible study in Brian and Sherry's apartment, They'll be able to say that God has done exceedingly, abundantly, far above anything that I could ask, imagine, or think. That I would have the wife that I have. That I would have the three sons that I have. That I would see, as I went behind Cal Poly dorms to pray in those years following, I started leading Bible studies and started seeing some of my friends come to the Lord and started seeing a great work of God that was actually experienced, Gnosko experience of God moving. I'd go up to the back of the dorms up on the water tower. You guys ever, you know what I'm talking about? You could see a whole panorama of San Luis Obispo. I used to go over. That was my spot to go pray and worship. Started learning guitar and such and singing songs and writing songs up on that thing. And I could, now I, uh, for just for fun, I'll go up there every once in a while, camp out, bring my chair, and just think about that's where I got saved. You know, that, that's, that's where I broke down because my dad passed away the fall quarter of my second year. And that's where my friend stayed up with me all night praying for me. And that's, that's the, the room where I did the speech. Um, God, I was freaked out of my mind. I gave a speech in my speech class about evidence of the resurrection. And this is where I was praying on whether or not I should pursue my now wife because my other good friend liked her too. And I knew that. <laughs> and praying for God to move mountains so that she would like me by some, some amazing work of God, you know. And, the, and, and, and there's the hospital where Mitchell was born. And there's the hospital where Daniel was born. And there's the hospital where Davis was born. And there's our first house. And there's our second house. And there's our ninth house. And there's over there. You can't even see the tent and so on. God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So I was, in this, I was in his apartment. I was listening to his Bible study. I was stoked to do that. I was excited that we get to be in a Bible study together, my wife and I. We weren't married yet. And, uh, and Brian was teaching through the Word. And I was familiar with Calvary Chapel because I heard that there was a Calvary Chapel Bible study going on in San Luis. We didn't have a church, the Calvary Chapel then, but I had been exposed to it because when I went home to Southern Cal, you know, that's, there's a lot of Calvary Chapels down there. And I got involved with Calvary Chapel Redlands or the college group there and and got to hear a great teaching like Greg Laurie in Riverside. I drive an hour just to go to the services there, but I went every week, and I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it, and I heard there was a Bible study. Wendy's roommate, she moved into a house from Sacramento. Her roommate was one of the people that was in our Bible studies that I would lead on campus, filled the space there, and that friend 
who was in our wedding, dear friend to this day, was, was excited about this Bible study and invited us. And uh, I was really happy to go. And one of the first times I talked to Brian, I actually went to, to reprove him. <laughs> I went to correct him because I felt like, you're my peer, and I can do that. And I wasn't used to that, that somebody 24 or 23. 23, is that right? We're, I wasn't yet 24, I don't think. And he was my peer, and we, and we were doing Bible study. And I had no idea it was a church plant. No idea. I just thought it was a Tuesday night Bible or whatever night we had it in. And we used to have dinner together and make a whole night of it. Just loved it. Loved the people we were meeting. Never left. Guys, one of the biggest blessings I have now is my son, Mitch, is about to graduate from high school. And Mitchell only knows one church. One. One of, the, one of my favorite pictures is um, he was in the warming, I don't even know what you call it. After he was born, they put him, you know, the what? It wasn't an incubator. It was just a warming. You know, they have the heat lamp on you, I guess, like, like in fast food restaurants, and they put the kid there, and then they make sure he doesn't get cold. And they give you this really cool heart sticker that goes on the chest, and it connects a cord. I don't know what all that stuff does. But he was, he was laying there, and we have a picture where Pastor Brian has, has Brianna, who is, I think, about three months, if I'm not mistaken, he used to carry her where she would lay face down and her head would be over his hand and, and he's supporting her neck and her chest like this. And she doesn't have any hair and she's got a bow around her head and she's looking down at Mitch in the warmer. And they're both graduating high school this year. They've only, they've only known one church. And there's been lots of waves over the years. There's been really fun waves. We ride them and we enjoy every minute of it. And there's really big, treacherous waves that have caused a lot of pain, and we've suffered a lot. And, and things, to ride those over two decades, uh, you realize that you're just not here because you want to feel good all the time or in, you know, have a bunch of laughs, but you're here because you're family, and you're here because you're committed, and you're here because you're loyal to the relationships that God's given you. And I would encourage all of you, as I can say that my kids have been raised in this church, even the point of having Mitch graduate, I think that's, that's, to have them graduate, you guys, is pretty emotional. I mean, Hannah, uh, the Brennan, and, and Brianna, and Mitch, and all these kids that were literally bald-head pictures together, and now they're all graduating. It's crazy. There's a whole lot of emotions, but it, it has to do with being so thankful for this church, for the body of believers, not that we have anything unique or special or limited to here. There's lots of bodies of believers, but here's the thing, when you commit, when you say, I'm here, and I'm going to ride through the tough waves, I'm going to enjoy the good waves, the fun waves, but I'm not going to get overthrown, my ship isn't going to get overthrown by the trials that come up, when you commit, it's a whole lot different than just waiting for something bad to happen, and at the drop of a hat, you're out of here. The benefits are this, you guys, I love the fact that Mitchell's heading off to college, knowing that this has been his experience where he's gotten to grow, he's had great teaching growing up, he's had an opportunity to serve, I think he's in, what is it, his third year there serving the children's ministry, or maybe longer, I don't even know. I mean, that's all in this church. So grateful, so thankful, and uh, very much encourage you guys to do the same. Commit, dig roots deep. You may be here from another church, maybe you're checking on a church, maybe you're leaving a church. I would just say this, that make sure God's calling you in or out of a church. Well, if he's called you into this church, Calvary Slow, Lord willing, 20 years from now, you'll be able to say we rode some waves. 
and a lot of them are really hard, but it's worth it because the relationships that we've worked at are so deep and have so deep roots that we're able to go through trial and even in our own relationships and come out glorifying Jesus in some small and big way. And for me, to see how Brian and I particularly have worked over the long term together, we look back at our 20s and we're like, we shake our heads a lot. We talk about this every so often where we're like, remember we used to know it all? <laughs> we, used to just, we used to be so adamant on this particular non-essential point. <laughs> and now I'm like, I used to be over here and I'm like, <laughs> over here. That happens. If you're in your 20s, just be expecting it. You get a little seasoned. You get more, you know, perspective. You get, you, you know, you kind of loosen up in some ways that are good. Not doctrinally, not essentials. Those are timeless. Those never change. We stick to those as much today as we did then. It's just how we go about emphasizing those and de-emphasizing the things that are not essential that divide or can divide if you don't handle them well. We made a lot of mistakes. We have a lot of blind spots. He helps me. I help him. He's strong in some ways. I'm weak in others. I'm weak in some, or he's weak in some ways. I'm strong in others. And then when you throw our wives in there and our kids, it's just been a blessed, blessed journey. And I come back to this scripture, and I'm like, wow, in our 20th anniversary, as God would have it, we get to read. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to who be the glory to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May you have many generations of faith. May you be loyal to a church. If it's Calvary Slow, God bless you. We are family. If it's somewhere else, God bless you. But dig in. Commit. Don't settle for Sunday after Sunday. Settle for far more than that. A small group. A group of believers. In our small group alone, you guys, I think if you would have told me how many trials we would go through together, I wouldn't have signed up in the first place. We've had people die. We've had hospital, ICU, extended times together. We've had near deaths. We've followed ambulances down an hour and a half to Cottage Hospital in Santa Barbara together. We've done fundraisers together on uh, yard sales to raise money for medical bills for each other. We've seen tragic accidents happen. We've seen... Uh, our friend's daughter learned how to talk again. I mean, it's just after a brain injury. I, 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 I go over all these things and I think, am I despairing because of all those things that happen? Am I bummed? Am I, am I saying, Lord, when I came to Cal Poly as a freshman, was it all for nothing? Is this a waste of time? Has 20 years come and gone and invested in this church and our community and our small group, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Have I been in the least bit misled to think that it was worth it. And I say absolutely, resoundingly, unequivocally, no. Everything has been to his glory and has turned out for his goodwill and his purposes. Everything. Everything. And if I've hurt you along the way those 20 years, I apologize. I probably have. If I've let you down in some way, or Brian's let you down in some way, or anybody for that matter in the fellowship, we apologize. And in this morning, there's certain things that Paul wants to pray for the Ephesian believers. And I'm, I'm so pumped to talk about five things that Paul emphasizes here. That if we get this, 
then we have 20 blessed years to look forward to, no matter what the waves look like. Amen? So we get into it? Paul prays for the following. Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians to be strengthened with mighty power. The dunamis, where we get the word uh, dynamite from. He says, I want, I'm praying, I'm bowing my knees. By the way, bowing my knees, let's just take a second to talk about that. Bowing your knees, as he describes it here, obviously isn't a requirement to prayer, but it sure helps the believer, doesn't it? When you bow, literally bow, okay? That's something I miss about my days in the Catholic Church. You always had that thing that came down, and it was padded, and every Sunday you're on your knees. And, and so, you know, you, you get people that can't do that physically, but whenever you go down on your knees, there's just something that happens in here and in here, right? I mean, you literally know what you're doing when you go on your knees. If you're praying and you're walking, you're praying, you're jogging, whatever, riding a bike, driving in your car, you can have distract. When you're on your knees, though, when you take that posture, automatically a couple things come in your mind and your heart, at least it does for me, is to remember that I am bowed low before the high and mighty king, for one. He's the king. I'm the servant. He's the master. I'm the slave, he's the shepherd, I'm the sheep. It puts your, your, your heart posture in a way that you're asking, you're not demanding. You're, you're coming and you're beseeching, you're asking, you're seeking, you're knocking. That asking is like a begging. Like you're, you're dependent upon someone greater than yourself, okay? Keep that in mind. Paul says, I am so intent, I'm so serious on you guys growing in these ways of being blessed by the Lord internally that I'm on my knees for it. I'm not just casually or kind of off the cuff doing these things for you or interceding for you, I'm actually on my knees. And when you do that, you know what you're doing, right? You're praying. You're interceding. There's a seriousness about it. But there's also a reminding to be humble before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's why I like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I don't really like the movies per se as a whole like other people do that really get into it. But one thing I love is those scenes where the king walks in and they all go down on their knee. Isn't that great? You're just reminded... Wow, purity, holiness, sacrificial love on the part of our king demands a knee be bowed. It says every knee will, heaven and earth will, will bow, right? Every, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is our king. We bow before him. Paul is saying, I'm bowing, and this is what I'm asking, that you would be, you would be strengthened with power, that dunamis power, that dynamite power through his spirit. So it's not in, in us, it's coming from without into within via his spirit, which is, which is the third part of the Trinity, the very God inhabiting you and being in your life. And in this, he's identifying in your inner uh, being. That word for inner is eso, meaning within, the soul, the conscience. So everything internal. He's saying, I'm praying that you're, uh, you're reinforced, you're strengthened with mighty power, that you would have the dunamis in you through the Holy Spirit himself indwelling your innermost being and your personality. So everything internal is thriving regardless of what the external looks like. That, uh, that exercise regimen um, for the body that's really popular, CrossFit. And the more I learn about CrossFit, the more I'm anti-exercise. It's like, it's like, what, why? You know, why would you do that? Exercising is hard enough. You know, I don't even like to run. But you're going to do that to yourself. Okay, well, you know, I'm all for, for, 
for, for working out and staying healthy, and your, your body is a temple, of course, we know that. But, uh, but the real emphasis of Paul, it's not on the outward appearance. It's not on the outward health. It's not on your, your cholesterol count or whatever. Like, he's like, I want you to be strengthened in your inner person, your inner man, your inner woman, so that anything regardless or anything exterior, including the condition of your body, whether it's a diagnosis like you've been experienced recently or, or a shutdown of some system or anything in your body, or actually external in circumstances where your bills are piling up, you know, you have things to pay that you don't have the bank account for, all the circumstantial things or what people do to you or don't do for you or letdowns or jobs, all that kind of stuff, it doesn't matter. Because when you're strengthened inner, the outward is affected. Your attitude is affected. It doesn't matter what's going on outside. You're actually coming about it with an understanding of how great God is and how he describes the Father as this, he says, every family in heaven and earth, this is who I'm praying to, is named after him. That name for family is one that talks about a common ancestor. There's something we have connected to that brings us together. In this case, our connection of faith to our heavenly father. It's one family. We're all named after him. We're looking towards him uniformly. That's why we can point each other to our father when we're going through things that we might be strengthened despite the circumstance. Okay, so he's saying, this is what I'm praying for you. I'm on my knees that you might be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, not of yourselves. So you can't try and do better in this way. You can't try and be more strong through trial. You can't kind of pull yourself up from your bootstraps. You can't lift your chin and kind of face it to the wind. We're not talking about internal resources. We're talking about resources that come from without. That's bigger, higher, more powerful than you are. The problem is we go into situations that vary and those tough waves that knock you off and are rattling your ship and we try and go internal to find the strength that we need to persevere and to have victory in, et cetera, et cetera. Or sin, temptation, you name it. The power in our lives comes from the Spirit, comes from without, something we're in need of and desperate of and we cannot attain in any uh, shape or form. It's a gift from God, His Spirit. That's why Jesus would say, it's better for me to leave because God's going to send something. The Father's going to send someone to be here with you and he's going to be in you. He's going to be upon you. He's going to be beside you. He is the comforter. He is the one who's going to be with you in all situations so that you have strength. You have the power. You have the dynamite power, not in your flesh, but in your soul where you need it the most because all of us guys are plateaued. I don't know what age, health-wise, it may have been after birth. We just started going downhill, right? The older you get, the more gray hair you get, the more you realize this is true. I can't play softball anymore without exercising according to my wife because I get hurt too much. And all I'm doing is running 60 feet. It's true. You, can't, you don't heal as fast. It's just a downward. But here's the thing. Paul said, I want to be renewed day after day. What? Internally. Internally. That's where our emphasis has to be. So we want to be in a place where we're growing and we're asking God, please, Lord, please, Lord, late. Let you uh, reinforce me with mighty power. Now, look what he says after that. He says, this is according to the riches of his glory. The riches word is just like a, you know, Bill Gates type of riches, but not of, of an of a earthly sense, but in an eternal sense. He has glory. He's emanating. It's a residual manifestation of the magnificence and the holiness and the purity of all that he is that we can't touch with a 10-foot pole. This is his glory that he may grant you according to this glory that he is manifesting in our lives 
He's saying, according to that, this is the Father that I'm praying to you. I'm asking for you to be strengthened. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now that word is significant, dwell. Not only is it a residing, but it's a comfortability. In other words, Christ is in your life, and, and uh, he's working out his will, and he's actually making himself at home. The problem is that oftentimes we want to resist that, don't we? There's certain things, certain areas, certain almost like reservations that we have, of certain parts of my life are going to be under my control, not yours, God. The problem is he's not, in a sense, comfortable there. Not uncomfortable like he's made uneasy, he doesn't know what to do, but just the sense that he doesn't coincide with sin. So if there's a sin part or resistance part or pride part of our lives, that's somewhere he needs to be more comfortable in. Are you with me? So that song that we, saw, we sung uh, earlier, you know, uh, spirit, you know, fall fresh on me. Blow through the caverns of my soul. That's what we're praying right there. God, come and be comfortable in all areas of my heart, in all areas of my thoughts, in all areas of my will. Let my intent be one that mirrors your desires, not fight against it. Blow through the caverns of my soul, God. That's, I love that song because of that. It's just opening yourself up to say, God, you do the work. You clean me. You make what's wrong right. You make the crooked things straight. You do your will in me. The problem is we don't actually invite him to do that very often, if we're honest with ourselves. When was the last time you said, Lord, reveal to me any wicked way within me. Lead me in the ways of everlasting. You know, these are the kind of prayers we're talking about, that God, as Paul would pray for them, I want him to be not only present in your lives, but comfortable. If you have areas that you know are succumbing to a will opposed to Jesus' will, Get prayer. That's why I have it every Sunday over by the cross. Just go to those folks and just say, hey, you don't even have to be specific. Just pray for me. You know, we're called as Christians to pray for each other in these areas of weakness and to share burdens with one another. Do that in prayer. Don't miss out on those things, those times that God's actually calling it to attention. That's what we're called to do in Christ. I read this uh, description in the Amplified. It says, May Christ through your faith actually dwell. Settle down, abide, make his permanent home in your hearts. means to dwell in his soul to pervade, to prompt, to govern it. Man, Lord, please come govern my soul. Let it be filled with the power, the dunamis power, through your Holy Spirit that's not of myself. So he prays that they would be strengthened with mighty power. He prays that they would have Christ dwell in their hearts through faith, which is a gift. Next thing he prays is that they would be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. That's result, oh, the cause to strike root, to strengthen with roots, to render firm, to fix, to establish, to cause a person or thing to be thoroughly grounded. What does this look like to be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love? Well, it's to have faith, not fear. It's to have trust and not worry or doubt. It's to love, not hate back or despise in return to wrongs done upon us. It's to have a sense of giving, not hoarding or being greedy. It's serving, not waiting to be served like our Savior as described in Mark 10. It's to pray, not to strive in the flesh only, but to give our requests to Him. It's God's love and work in us that we might be rooted and grounded in love. Now that love, guess what word in the Greek is love there? Agape, sacrificial love. The love that says, 
I'm not basing this whole journey on feeling. I'm basing this on the fact that, Lord, make me willing to even lay down my life as you did, if necessary, if that's what you would call me, to serve someone else. It goes far beyond feeling. It's simply this, that Paul's saying, I want you to be rooted as much as your roots go down deep and you're fixed, you're, you're, you're set there. You're not going to be thrown around off that place of security, of solidifying your walk with me because I'm going to call you to love sacrificially. I'm going to call you to give up rights of owing someone retribution when somebody wrongs you. I'm going to give you the power to overcome that which hurts the most so that you can live victoriously in me without being chained, without having your soul being ripped apart unnecessarily. You're going to be experiencing my joy, my freedom, my freedom from all that tears us down naturally of the flesh, which is retribution, which is getting back at people, which is holding accounts of wrongdoing. One of the most often repeated phrases that my wife and I collectively have ever uttered have been to premarital couples when we say, keep short accounts. I feel like that's part of the practical application of being rooted and grounded in love. Where you get offended, you get hurt, you, something's done or said or not done or not said, and we, we tend to start building that resentment. We bury it. And, and where love is buried, where we're rooted and grounded in love, it can't, coexist with bitter, it can't coexist with bitterness and hatred. So one's got to be there, one's got to leave. And, w- and when you're, you're like Paul, can you imagine Paul's parents? Just know for a second, for, just go with me for a second. If you knew that Paul was on his knees right now in heaven, praying for Calvary Slow to have relationships that are grounded and rooted in love, wouldn't you be a lot, really excited, a lot more excited to really dive into the tough parts of relationships where you do get offended and you're like, God, I want to see you move. I want to see you move miraculously. I want to see you free my heart. I want to see you help me to keep short accounts where everything is given to you in light of your mercy and grace so that I can walk freely in the freedom that comes from letting all that go. And this is not of ourselves. We have to go to the Father for them. I would love to know that Paul's on his knees. I know that Jesus is on his knees. Says, well, not necessarily on his knees, but he says he's ever interceding for us. The right hand of Father, which is a glorious, glorious thing. Moving on, what else does Paul pray for? He prays that they would be knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, which on first reading, in the English at least, is amazing. You want me to know the love of Christ that passes what I can know. How is that possible? Well, the knowledge, the knowledge he's talking about is gnosko, like I was talking about before. It was one thing for me to know about God growing up. It was another thing entirely to actually walk with God once I understood who Jesus was and wanted to be with me. That's the gnosko. One is head knowledge. That's saying, going past our ability to even comprehend mentally is where God wants us to live, breathe, and thrive in that supernatural place. You guys, every time we come up to a place where you go through tough things, God reveals more of himself. And maybe a little bit, maybe a whole ton of stuff. And one of the things I look back on my own life, when my dad passed away, when I was uh, just a Christian for a little less than a year at that point, is I felt like my faith had to go one of two places. 
either I'm going to totally derail or I'm actually going to see what God has in this and grow. And I felt like I had a kind of miracle growth season where I was so, everything was just all-consuming about what God was doing in the moment internally and in my family that I was just all, always just found myself praying, interceding. I just, sometimes I look back at that time and I'm envious of myself because I can't stay there. Um, it's almost weird when you actually look back on your trials, the worst trials of your life, and actually feel a little envy that you're not in them still. Because your, your intimacy, your gnosko of God in those times is second to none. And you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Why? Because when you need God, you go to God. When you need God, you go to your knees. There's a saying that says, when your knees are shaken, just go down on them. Those times are intimate. And those times I, I want. Now, pause that and just know that one of the worst things I hear come out of my wife's mouth is, I'm so comfortable right now, I feel like we should have at least a little bit of trial. <laughs> my, my wife has said that. I'm, I'm like, I'll stop her now and just say, please don't finish your sentence because, because we're comfortable right now does not mean we have to have trial to make us more intimate, but in a sense, I agree with her. You know, you get so comfortable if you have an elongated season without trial, you get so comfortable you actually stop forgetting God as much. You found that to be true? There's a, there's a reality to, to what God's doing in our lives where Paul wouldn't necessarily pray, keep him from trial, God, but I think he would just say this, God, reveal more of yourself that takes them beyond knowledge and into experiencing more full knowledge of you. Do that, God. Because Paul wrote this from a place of being in prison. So he's talking about it from experience. He's like, I want you to know, especially in trial, the knowledge that only comes when you bypass or go beyond, not bypass, not leaving your mind at the door and then forgetting it, but going beyond what's intellectually possible in your finite mind into where God ex- is just amazing at what he does. Like, let him go there, God. Take them into a place where they depend on you and really come to realize that they're not any more in control of their lives than they started out or will end up. But, but that you're in control, God. He's on his knees praying those things. I just realized I don't pray like this very often. And a lot of the time, I'm just fearful. I don't want trial. I'd rather do without it. But I know through experience that Gnosko, that he's there in the trial. So that he wants us to be just filled you know that filled with the fullness of God? It's an image of, of a ship being at, at, at a dock, being loaded up with all its cargo and all of its supplies and all of its uh, labor, shipmates, captain. It's all being loaded up to its fullness. You wouldn't start a journey across the Atlantic from one side being Europe to North America, for example, and just say, hey, I think we got a bottle of water. I don't really know if we have more than that. You'd, you'd fill it to what you need for the journey, Right? Well, get this, Paul's like basically saying, I want them to go through this life with everything they have that they need right there through Christ. He is all they need. I want them to be in the fullness, fullness of God, to be in their life to such a degree where they have everything they need, no matter what happens in their life. It's amazing. It's beautiful. God, make me that ship. Fill me up, Lord. Fill me to overflow. 
come with your presence and take me in a place of supernatural living, not just normal nine-to-five living. So Paul's reminder of the bigger picture is, is this, is going into this last deck doxology, which we'll end with. And that's just the, one of the most precious of scriptures of the saints. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who by and consequence of the action of his power that's at work with us is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly. It's the Greek, and here I'm going to chop this so bad, just be prepared. It's hyper hyperekperisau something. Uh, that's the Greek word. So, so you can, you know, again, the foolish things that confound the wise, because I don't know how to speak Greek. I haven't studied extensively, but I do know I can look up words on Blue Letter Bible. Super abundantly, far and above. That first word of that is hyper. You guys Star Wars fans? Hyperspace? You're going faster than the speed of light. So you're, you're, he's saying, I want, I want them to know that he's able to do beyond what we'd expect him to do. And then far and above over is just the word hyper in the Greek. So he's like, I want them to go beyond. I want them to know the God who goes beyond. And I want them to stay there like, and beyond. You know, I want them to know God who, who, who's able to take them in areas of supernatural living despite the circumstances. And, and far and above, even beyond that, all that we dare ask. And that word there again is like beg, like in Matthew 7, 7, or think. When you go on your knees, you've got to understand who you're praying to. Your faith is only as strong as that which you're putting your faith in. Your God is the God who reigns in heaven and on earth, has created the heavens and the earth, all that we know, all that we can't see. He is the one you're going to who has bent his ear and has his son interceding for you and his spirit there to come for you while you're asking, while you're tormenting, while you're belaboring, in faith, waiting upon him to move supernaturally. He is there for you. He's just lowered his ear. He's brought you into his lap. He's given you the privilege of access to himself, and he wants us to use it. I don't use it enough. I'll be the first one to admit that, especially when you're reminded of how great our God is that wants us to come, that hears our prayers, that keeps your tears in a bottle, knows the number of hairs on your very head. He knows you. He loves you. He does more exceedingly, hyper beyond what you can ask, hyper beyond what you can think, hyper beyond what you can beg him for. And he loves you. The king of kings loves you because he already proved it when Jesus died on the cross. That he's as serious about this as letting blood go from his vein and drop on the, the ground. And I just wanted to save this till last. He describes that love and he describes his desire for them to know the love, the height, the depth, the length, and the width. Got this picture of, if you picture like a canvas where at the top you can just see the bottom of his arm all the way across it. And from that arm, from the wrist area, dropping one little tiny little drop of blood. And you wrote all, like just the word sin, across the very bottom. So in other words, a very small drop of his blood as comparison to a huge thing that says my sin on the bottom of the screen. And how we cross that out, that word, 
and replace it with one other word, and that word being enough. One little drop from our Savior's veins is enough to purify and cleanse and restore our purity, our righteousness. And it's enough. That's deeper than your sin. That's higher than your sin. It's wider than your sin. It's longer than your sin. It's higher than your trial. It's deeper than your trial. It's longer than your trial. It's broader than your trial. Amen? Amen. Everyone has a reason to worship. We're going to do that today. We're going to celebrate. And guess what? As just to end with, it's all for whose glory? It's all for His. All for His. We're just the recipients of this blessed life. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.